Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music year. I'm your host, Hillary Jones. So it's One Riff a Day month again. One Riff a Day, if you're unfamiliar, is organized by She Shreds magazine. And the basic idea is that you play like one riff per day, you record it, and then you share it online. And this is, I think, like my fourth time doing it. And it's been <laughs> really just like a pleasure and a challenge every time. The first two times I did it, I focused just on riffs. One year I did guitar, one year I did bass. You know, you get to the end, you're just like, do I have any more music? what is music? I am, I, I don't even, I cannot, you're like, just like grabbing from the depths of your soul to come up with something. Um, last year, I kind of like shifted a little bit. I focused on trying new recording techniques, which was an interesting kind of shift. And that was really fun. And I feel like I learned a lot from that process. So far this year, I, it looks like I'm, <laughs> I say it looks cause we're in the process, but it looks like I'm doing a different theme sort of each week. And, you know, given my current workload, I may have overshot the time commitment for something more complicated, which is what I'd originally planned to do. I wanted to do like one part per day, complete with like guitar, bass and drums all together. But that took forever. And, uh, you know, I did it for a few days that was great. That alone was a good learning process. I feel like one day I'm just going to like get it together and record a whole album over the period of a month, but I that this is not that time. Then the next week I did cover songs thinking it would be less time consuming, yet I'd still learn something new because that seems like partly part of the purpose, right? And I did learn something. I learned a lot, really. Um, but at least, you know, the first, you know, I, I chilled my expectations a little bit. And then, you know, it was definitely, you know, somewhat less time consuming. I, you know, I tried to learn like Jolene by Dolly Parton. It was just too much. I can't do figure picking. I was like, I'm going to try these things that are new. It's too much time. I can't do it in an hour. Anyway, I'm going to do, uh, you know, right now I'm doing original bass riffs. And then probably next week I'll do original guitar riffs. And who knows? We'll see what happens. And uh, if you want to follow that whole thing, that's all happening on Instagram. And, you know, I've seen just so many really amazing folks playing riffs in just a ton of different unique ways on a bunch of different instruments, which is really cool and always very, very inspiring. And I always just like meet and learn about so many new people. It really is like kind of my favorite thing about the month. I highly, highly recommend you check out the hashtag one riff a day. And that is the number one hashtag, hashtag number one, one riff a day. And uh, I don't know, since last episode, I also started teaching a course again at the Rhode Island School of Design. And that's been really great to be back in person with the students. Uh, being online has been less less awesome. So I'm, I'm really excited to get to see folks in person. I also went to Legoland with my family. It's been a wacky month. All right, enough about me. Today's guest is Donna Diane, and she is a ridiculously multi-talented, and I would add multitasking artist uh, from the two-piece Juna, where she plays guitar and sings in addition to like low-end duties. So she does bass via this like bass foot organ pedal, a la like Getty Lee and Rush. It's a wild style and highly impressive to watch. We had a lot to cover from gear to like recent experience in mental health treatment program. And as a note, we're 
there are going to be some general mentions of trauma, complex PTSD, suicidal ideation, uh, eating disorders, and no, no specifics really are, are discussed. But um, I just wanted to note that up up in up front for folks. If you you know are sensitive to those things, like you know maybe you want to skip this episode, that's okay. If uh, or maybe you're more interested, it's up to you. If you need uh, support for any of those issues, there are links in the show notes for that as well. All right, but before we get into the interview, I do want to thank this episode's fabulous sponsors. First, we have Earthquaker Devices, who are crushing it as per usual with a ton of new stuff on their YouTube page, including a uh, this old bench, a board to death, a show us your junk, and perhaps most relevant to listeners is an Earthquaker session with guest podcaster and shredder LG and Thelma and the Sleaze. Pop over to their YouTube to find all all that and way, way more, including everything you ever wanted to know about their fabulous pedals. EarthquakerDevices.com will help you find what you need. Up next, we have Stopbox Sonic. Stopbox Sonic provides musicians with an extensive tonal palette for auditory exploration. Specializing in effects pedals, they offer a curated collection of companies large and small, some locally crafted, some assembled from around the world. Adam and Jem have been helping musicians and sound-based artists find their sound since 2009. By working collaboratively through one-on-one consultations, they do more than sell you a pedal. They ignite the creative spark to bring your music to life. They create a comfortable, judgment-free environment for all musicians where sonic experimentation is encouraged. And whether you play guitar, bass, trumpet, harp, roads, circuit bend, speak and spell, whatever it is, Stopbox Sonic will help you. Uh, they will help you get the right effect for your project. They are fabulous folks. And it um, doesn't matter if you're in Boston or wherever. Find them online. They can do virtual consultations. They're the best. Stopboxonic.com for more. Last but not least, thanks to Holcomb Guitars. Nick Holcomb builds beautiful custom guitars to your specifications and has a mobile guitar repair setup as well. That means he will come to you in Rhode Island or Massachusetts, either fixing your guitar on site or picking it up and dropping it off when he's done. Who does that? Just no one. No one does that. No one except Nick. He has uh, set up, repaired, and modified a bunch of my instruments. Uh, I got one back from him literally today. And it's just, yeah, he's so great. And, um, you know, if you follow his Instagram, you may have noticed an absolutely jaw-dropping custom electric uh, that that he made for Jimmy, uh, our guest, and Jim Lee. It is like herringbone, but with wood. It's ridiculous. Definitely check that out and uh, follow him on Instagram at Holcomb Guitars. All right. As always, you can follow along with Midriff Between Episodes on Instagram and Facebook at Midriff Podcast. With that, let's get into my interview with Donna. Welcome to Midriff. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. This is fabulous. I feel very excited. Me too. Yeah. All right. Cool. So for folks who somehow might not be familiar with you, can you introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, a little bit about yourself and your background with music? Sure. My name's Donna Diane. She, her, hers. Um, I am a guitarist, bassist, and vocalist. And the weird thing about me is I do all three of those things at the same time. <laughs> so <laughs> totally cash. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Moog 
bass pedalboard, basically, rig that I use. I play with my foot while I'm on stage playing guitar and screaming my little heart out. (laughs) I really just had a visual of you like holding your foot up and like playing with your foot. Like you like as though you had like a contact mic on your foot. Which I, you know I do what? get kind of like flamingo ish on stage where I'm like, I'm just I'm basically standing on one foot for like 30 minutes. Yes, right? I can't believe that. That's a wild style in a thousand ways, which we're going to have plenty of time to talk about. because I have a lot of questions, as you might imagine, about that for your personal musical background. Like, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about your musical history? Sure. Um, My very first instrument was uh, piano. I started taking piano lessons when I was very young, which has actually provided a good foundation for playing the bass pedal board since that is like a one octave C to C, (laughs) 12 key thing. Um, I was going to actually ask that exact question because I was like, oh, that seems useful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's funny because then guitar, I didn't start playing guitar until I was like a teenager. I think when I was like 13. And um, so guitar is just, I think of completely differently in my head. So it's, mm-hmm. I'm kind of switching back and forth between like piano layout and guitar layout. Yeah, like the linear versus the whatever yeah. you would call guitar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's just both both great things about each. I think I was a very b- bad piano student. <laughs> student. I did not <laughs> practice at all. But I did learn a lot. I really liked music theory, which I learned a lot um, yeah. from that, which has really served me well during my lifetime. But yeah, guitar was the one when I started, you know, 10, 11, 12, I started listening to bands Mm -hmm. and then I was like, Mm -hmm. this is what I want to do. These are the sounds I want to make. Yeah. And so that I, that I practiced. (laughs) A little more motivated perhaps. Yes. Yeah. It was definitely, there was, you know, not, it wasn't like a going to some old lady's house to <laughs> practice. It was just be alone in my bedroom, like learning out of guitar magazines. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's actually only been in the past four years, I'd say that I, it was about four years ago that I started doing the bass pedal board thing while yeah. playing guitar at the same time. My, um, last band was kind of like, fizzling out and I wanted a way I could still continue to play my songs without sacrificing the bass and having like mm-hmm. the bass as like a separate melodic instrument because mm-hmm. there's so many different ways as a solo artist you can like bring in bass but I really I love when bass kind of takes over the melody of the song yeah. and you know really does like a counterpoint to what guitar is doing so that was that was what really drove me to do it. And then, yeah, I, I performed a couple times solo doing that and that went well. So then I got a drummer on board and that's how Juna started. And, you know, cause I just, I didn't want to do like a, you know, kind of like a button pushing project on stage. I like, I yeah. very much like a live band being live. Yeah. So it kind of was just like this crazy experiment of like, okay, can we get like a full rock trio sound with mm-hmm. just two people <laughs> mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. use knowledge of gear to like be able to do that. So yeah, it's been really awesome. I, we really start first album in 2019 this time around i'm working with a new drummer and we're going into the studio next month i can't believe it oh my gosh that's coming right up yeah i know (laughs) damn so i'm hoping i'm hoping i'm gonna have new music for people finally this year but we we shall see the music industry is very highly unpredictable so who knows anything anymore (laughs) boy boy certainly hard to say (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's funny. So like we had talked a little bit beforehand, like I, you know, the base. But so this is the other thing. Do you call it a base pedal board, a base board, oh. a base pedal, a base? What do you call that instrument? You know, there's so many. Because I literally a Google search was even hard for me to figure out when I was like investigating that myself. So like I would say like a proper brand name for it would be a Moog Taurus, which is what I'm modeling my setup after. It is not a proper Moog Taurus, but it is like one I've cobbled together using a Moog Minotaur. Mm -hmm. kind of like the brains of the synthesizer and Mm -hmm. then a separate MIDI controller pedal board. I like calling it, my preferred term is um, bass organ. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Yeah, but that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. You can call it people just say bass pedal board. I mean, obviously that crosses over into just like an effects pedal board that a bass player might use. Um, Bass synthesizer, foot control bass synthesizer. Have you considered... Borgen. Borgen. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out It's like there. A, a celebrity hybrid <laughs> married couple name. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I like, yeah, I like funny, foot I, base, too. I say foot, foot base. base a lot. <laughs> That's good, too. Foot base. Foot base, yes. leg base. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, It's. I actually found, like, a little ba- foot base on the side of the road one day, and I was like... Yes, and I was so psyched, but I could never figure out how, like, it had some sort of weird proprietary, like, I don't know, like, uh, input or something, and I could not figure out how to actually attach it to anything. Like, I brought it to the, like, the local shop here to be like, what do you think? And they're like, I don't know. And, yeah, so. Yeah, depending on how old it was, it might have had just some... It's been Crazy. around a minute, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. But yeah, I, 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 had, I had done, like, the the more traditional, I think, like, by amp, like, I'm going to use an octave pedal and yes. the bass amp and then, then the guitar, you know, because, like, I was in a, doing the, in, like, being the person responsible for all of the, like, melodic sounds kind yeah. of, uh, or, like, the stringed instruments in a band kind of thing. Could never get it together to do the things that you're doing. And yeah. so I'm very impressed. <laughs> I'm very, very impressed. Yeah. But also, I feel like the, to your, you know, it, it'll, to be able to allow yourself to to do that like counterpoint stuff both like to write it that way but then also to perform it that way like that is bonkers yeah in the best way it's funny i um was reading something about multitasking and that Mm. saying that like multitasking is a myth what's actually going on is um Mm -hmm. rapid attention switching or something like that in your brain which i feel like that is exactly what goes on in my brain it's like i have to choreograph where my attention goes in the song so i'm like this part i need to focus on guitar then i got to quickly switch over to bass and then, I mean, the ultimate goal is to save all the attention for the vocals because that's like <laughs> the most important part. Uh-huh. So as I get better on it, the, at it, then I can like pull a lot of that attention towards what I'm doing vocally. But yeah, it is yeah. almost like this weird. I mean, I literally have to choreograph my foot movements right. in time with the song to mm-hmm. even just like press silent like effects switches ahead of time, anticipating that I'm going to need that foot for, <laughs> for yes. notes and everything. So it's mm-hmm. been, it's so awesome. Cause it's like, for me, I kind of geek out on this. Cause I'm like, how often as a musician, do you get to like develop technique on an instrument? I mean, like mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're playing something, it's like, 
oh, it's all been done before kind of a thing. And this is, it's kind of still like wild west (laughs) as far as like people (laughs) doing this and like different things. And like, I'm Mm -hmm. having to come up with like different gear solutions for it. Even body positioning. I was working with like somebody at my gym to figure out, I'm like, how do you like functionally stand in like a healthy way that allows your diaphragm, like on one foot, allowing your diaphragm to still like maximize Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's been so much fun. I love that kind of stuff. I'm less like wanting to do what's already been done than just like, I'm going to explore this new thing and it may fail horribly and not (laughs) be anything anybody wants to do, but I'm just going to do it just because I'm, I find that fascinating. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's it is fascinating and it sounds sick. So thank you. <laughs> double winner. <laughs> yeah, it's and I so you have a also like a, a full rig rundown that Premier Guitar did with you, too. So like people want to like really dig in. Yes, I get, see everything. I get into all the specifications yeah. about like the pedals that I'm using, like some of the custom pedals that I've had built mm-hmm. and everything to make this rig work because like the. The main focus is like something that you can effectively use live on stage yeah. under un- the unpredictable conditions of playing live. Like it's uh-huh. kind of a liability to bring like <laughs> a, some, something so complicated with. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how, how do I find the gear that will not fail me? knock on wood <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know allow me to like still perform like be dynamic on stage to still perform yep. to my fullest and everything so yeah i mean i live here so <laughs> that's why that fascinates well, me <laughs> I'm glad you're here yes you know what do you did you so how long did you take piano lessons for um i started when i was like five or something oh, so yeah uh, until i started playing guitar so what is that eight year eight years or so okay yeah that's pretty solid that's like nothing to sneeze at <laughs> yeah i mean it's like yeah. I'm, i remember some of it but yeah i feel like the yeah. main takeaways from piano were definitely the music theory <laughs> yeah component. which you know i feel like that's kind of what it's for yeah to some degree for like that that early part as well like i as a person who a doesn't know how to play piano and doesn't really know music theory and missed that whole thing yeah uh so yeah it seems like solid yes yeah it was i'm very grateful for having that foundation it's it's i feel like it's served me well yeah did you (laughs) did you have vocal training as well no vocals are actually something i just learned to do not too long ago well probably in the past 10 years or so, I was always very shy vocally. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I just always thought like I could not sing, you know, just when you're a kid, like even like you you sing happy birthday. I'm always like the person that's like really quiet. You know, (laughs) I don't want anyone to hear me. (laughs) And then, um, I actually quit playing music for a while and I came back to it and I was like, I want to do it again. And I want to write my own music, but I'm going to have to learn to sing. Mm-hmm. finally so that i gotta say voice like although i love guitar voice is the most fascinating instrument mm-hmm. because it is so intimately intertwined with psychology you know what's going on in your body i mean there's just so there's so much beyond like basic technique that goes into mm-hmm. it that i feel like you can use gear 
in for other instruments to solve like most of it, but yeah. like voice there are no short shortcuts you have to develop that in your your body is the gear <laughs> yes <laughs> and so that's totally. why it's always been it's mm-hmm. been really hard for me because it's like for me i've always wanted a voice that is going to match the power of like the guitar sound i have and so like really finding that in myself and developing that has been really fascinating for me. It's been frustrating and there's been like some huge successes for me. So yeah, it's, it's kind of ironic that this, I don't know, at least to me that it ends up being like the instrument that probably means the most to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have the least like practice on it, you mean, or at least less. Yeah, it like- feels like it is more, hard one than any other mm-hmm. instrument I've learned. Like any other instrument, it's like guitar, you just you just sit down and you just loop it, you know. Like yeah. if you want to learn technique, you just practice over and over again. And voice, it's almost like this like, you know, to me, it's it's something that you can't just drill. You also have yeah. to like really cultivate it. And it's like more emotional <laughs> and everything. Yeah. So it's just like, it's something that like, yeah, I, I don't know. I would just characterize it as hard one for me. Like I am not somebody who just like came out of the womb with this like beautiful voice. Like it is something that I have had to dig so deep to find in myself. And yeah. to me, I love vocalists like that. I love, you know, just people who have had a hard life you can hear it in their voice. Uh-huh. They got shit to tell you. You know, like I know yeah. a lot of people like these like very young, pretty voices. No, I don't. I don't want that. Like I want somebody who's gonna like tell me something I don't know. You yeah, know? and you can and like you can hear that experience in the actual tonality of the voice in in many cases. Yeah, yeah. you know it's really funny because I when I started singing I. Uh, approach i just found like a traditional voice teacher and i was like yeah just teach me like the basics of what yeah. i'm supposed to do and she was so wonderful and the first time i sang for her she goes number one you have a very unique voice and she goes number two and she's like don't forget that because that's something that's just inherent to you that's something mm-hmm. other people want that you can't just mm-hmm. create like you could put yeah, on you're character. not going to guitar center to get that. yeah <laughs> Exactly. And she goes, number two, it's really fascinating. She's like, the way you sing, it's like you don't want the sound to come out. And Mm. traditionally, like that's for me vocally, you can, even on the last Juno record, like you can really hear me like, it's like I'm fighting with myself over everything. Like you can really hear me like agonizing (laughs) over what I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think that's something like I fully appreciated until like I like heard it back and I'm like, once I'm outside of myself kind of trying to view it objectively, it is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and even during the pandemic, my voice has changed a lot. One of the cool things coming back the first time. So I, as many people (laughs) during the pandemic, had um, some mental health issues, resurgence, and I went through two months of intensive trauma therapy Mm-hmm. And I'd say a couple months after that, we did like our first show back, which was like a live stream. And it was so cool. I had two friends independently with each other text me and they go, dude, your voice. And I was oh. like, whoa, like I, I didn't know anybody else could hear the change. But like literally doing all this 
<laughs> work in therapy really affected my, it, like, it helped me to stop, like, fighting with my voice so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much. And it was so cool having people I know hear that in me and, like, yeah. It's, it's, it's just so That's fascinating because it's like, yeah, it, like what other instrument would that, like nobody would be like, dude, your guitar playing, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, that's fascinating. And, and in the way that like it is gear and you have to maintain it. Yes. And like your, your body. And there's that connection between like everything that's happening. You, I, listeners can't see me gesticulating my hand across my face and my body. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're the whole thing. But yeah, it's all connected. Like, right. So, yes. so like the, you know, the, I can totally see how that could manifest. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later as well. Okay. But I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that it, it is so important to be able to just like recognize that the the ways that the, those things overlap. Yeah. I mean, I, got, yeah. I don't know if there's like people that talk a lot about that stuff. I mean, I assume there must be somewhere talk, people talking about that <laughs> connection between psychology and voice and stuff yeah. like that. But I think it's it's so fruitful to talk about that, especially like as a lot of people are dealing with trauma <laughs> lately. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, knowing like healing can have such profound effects on stuff you never anticipated. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's great. I'm psyched that you're able to have the opportunity to do that. And, you know, now's it seems like a good time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is a question that maybe other folks haven't asked you mm. that I feel like may I haven't seen it anywhere in my in my thorough yeah. <laughs> in, in my in my research uh tell me about the ballet slippers oh my god the ballet slippers okay so this is a <laughs> this is another thing I had to come up with because it was like I realized very quickly with playing the bass pedal board setup if I wear regular boots or street shoes, I'm going to mash keys together. Yeah. The keys are spaced far enough apart that it's not like, because I've seen other people use the, like, it's, I think it's called the 12-step or something that's a very, like, mm -hmm. miniature mm. bass pedal board. that I'm like, how do, I don't even understand how people play that. But for me, I was like, what do organists play? Because they oh, play with their yeah. feet. Like yeah. church organists. Yeah. And so I was looking up, I'm like, I, I, I want to get like organ shoes. Like, let me do this. And I quickly realized that there's like very little selection in organ shoes and they are, <laughs> boy, are they unattractive. <laughs> like not even. Now I have to Google organ shoes. I know. I'm like, I... they're not even unattractive in like a cool unattractive way. They're right, just plain right. unattractive. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I was just like what else and i'm thinking about like well what has like a a sole that's flexible because that's the thing with organ shoes it has like a flexible yeah. leather sole that you can still feel through the bottom because that's very important to be able to feel what you're doing right through your foot so then i was just like oh my god like ballet slippers like they have like the leather soles yeah and um yeah i just like picked up a pair oh actually no i had a old pair many years ago i had like taken like a burlesque class just for fun. Uh -huh. And um, I had them from that. So I was like, let me find those shoes. And I did it. And, and I was like, yep, these are the ones. So I've been like trying out different types. 
I just noticed that I was like, I see, I see this in multiple pictures. Like clearly this is a thing. And I don't know if other people are just not noticing it or if they're not asking you because I, because I was like, this seems connected. This is, and this is really funny too. So we made a music video in which, um, I'm wearing heels as a joke Mm -hmm. because it, it, it would be fucking impossible. You would break your ankle. Oh yeah balancing on one (laughs) foot and then also you can't feel anything through the heel but it was like it was kind of like a tongue-in-cheek joke and i have since since then there's like this mythology that is spread that i wear heels all the time when i play live (laughs) people have sworn they see me at live shows play the entire set in heels and i'm like that never happened. Like, is this how these like urban le- or like these? That's le- like it's like how people are like. Remember how Berenstein Bears yeah. had an extra <laughs> yes. in it or an A or something, and then you're like, mm. yeah, like well, whatever that <laughs> yeah. psychological phenomenon. Yes, that is yeah. exactly what it is, and I, it's just so funny because I'm like. Like, I know, literally, I know that that never happened. And the person I was talking to was like almost, like, disappointed about it. And so I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, it was a video. Like, I feel like, yeah, people are very attached to this idea. And I was like, yeah. okay, let them have it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but the anyway. fact is, you heard it here. You cannot do this in heels. <laughs> this is not a thing. <laughs> Ballet slippers. Ballet slippers, way to go! Yes, it's the gear. It's the gear of the year. Uh, so, I'm not going to ask you too too many specifics about your setup, just because I feel like you've got the whole premiere guitar, yeah. like the rig rundown, and people can go and watch that because then they'll get the whole thing. Yeah. But I do want to talk just briefly about like so I, I well two things, but what? <laughs> so one of them is so you worked with Kurt, Kurt Ballou, obviously yes. uh, from God City for you know, your previous recording, is that happening for this one as yes, well? Or? Yeah, we're going okay. back to Salem at the end of March. You'll be in our, so. you'll be in our neck of the woods. Oh, I'm yeah. like an hour away from there. Yeah, yes. less than an hour. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I cool. love it out there. It's cool to like have that experience of, you know, leaving town to go mm-hmm. do recording. Yeah, Kurt's an amazing Focused. guy and like really like has given me like a lot of support with music. So it's cool to mm-hmm. have that connection somewhere like somewhere else besides where you are i don't know yeah (laughs) yeah totally and i initially when i saw the original like when i was introduced to you originally you were i saw that you're playing the god city guitar yeah which is like also a very specific thing um and it's very cool so i feel like going if you go to your instagram you can see the guitar it's cool i'm not going to go into too much detail but it is pretty cool (laughs) All right. So so you had had a short series also that you were doing on YouTube. Yeah. Called oh. Can I touch your gear? Yes. Just because you like to talk about gear, because obviously that's why we're here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool. And I think that people should check oh, it out. Uh, what was the inspiration for that? You know, I had and I know I know it had to get cut short, but I, I appreciate that it's yeah. there. But tell me about why. Why you decided to do it. You know, I, I get these like weird ideas in my head that just like won't go away. I don't know mm. what, like, they're just, like, weird attachments to things. Like, I got it, the music video we did for the last album, the Animal Kingdom music video. There's this thing with, like, hands with, the, like, these crazy nails doing stuff. Uh-huh. I, like, one day while I was working on that song, like, years ago, I just got this image in my head of these, like, hands with na- nails. I'm like, where is this coming from? <laughs> and I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I... I just remembered that. And then years later, when you brought back the song, I ended up. So it was like this weird thing with, I just got it in my head one day, like 
can I touch your gear? And I was like, I didn't even know what it was, but I'm like, it just felt like I needed, I had like shot a test episode with like my old bass player like years ago. And like, I was originally thinking I would just kind of like interview like local people in Chicago about like what gear they were using or something. But then I never did anything with it. And it wasn't until like I hooked up with Kurt that like, I was like, oh, this is too good to like not film. Like, we'll just, we'll film like a pilot. Like, I told him about it and he was like, yeah, do it. Like, I'll do the pilot episode with you. So I'm like, okay, like, we'll just film it and see how it goes. And it went so well. And yeah, we only got two episodes in before the (laughs) pandemic happened. And then it's just been, I've been trying to restart it, like, kind of in this format where it's just like an online, you know talking thing and then i'm like that opens me up to interviewing like gear builders lots of other people yeah from Mm -hmm. you know wherever but like there's also the issue because like i mean like some musicians can be like reticent to do interviews gear builders are very reticent (laughs) to do it i know (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean it's like sometimes you'll happen on an extrovert like kurt that's like he, he could just talk forever about gear and i'm like good we're rolling. <laughs> yep. But um yeah, a lot of people are just like, I just wanna like be alone and build, you know, which I totally appreciate. <laughs> and yeah. so it's just like uh, you know, because a lot of builders, I mean it's like you start talking to them off camera and they could talk forever and they mm-hmm, say so mm-hmm. much cool stuff. And then I always feel like I'm like repeating what somebody told me and then i'm like not saying it right and then i'm like well wait how did that work and then i'm like yeah i wish i just had a recording of me talking to this person right go to the source yeah but i think it's like yeah it can be like intimidating even doing a podcast interview and then also like doing like a video thing is even more intimidating for people yeah so i gotta find like a way that you know, coincides because it was it was really funny. It just was like I'm oh I'm just gonna do this little thing. Like I'm so used mm-hmm. to with music. Like oh I put something out there and it takes like so much effort to get anyone to listen to yeah. it or watch it or something. And this was the first time I put something out and people were like, "Yep, subscribe, subscribe." I'm like, <laughs> what? The, what? Like it, it was like a thing where it's like I need some space to because I don't I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, yeah, with the gear community, like people are overwhelmingly nice, but there are like gear bros that are coming, oh, actually, blah, 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 like whatever. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, like give me some fucking space, you yeah. know? Like it's like, oh, it sounds like your drum overheads like are out of phase or like whatever. I'm like, I recorded like some stupid theme song in like two se- <laughs> seconds, you know? It's just like, I just, you know, but that's. That's my. Can I touch your drum overhead yeah. <laughs> and smash you over the head? With but it? That in a way, that is my issue because it's like I'm just like yeah. resisting how things work now, which is like you just kind of figure it out publicly mm. in progress. People just tell you exactly what they think of you, uh-huh. and then you just take that as constructive feedback and keep going. I'm definitely a lot more prickly about that kind of stuff. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Like, yeah. leave me alone. I don't know? need this. Yeah. Like, I just, I just want to have fun. Like, I just want to, you know, like, this isn't like a serious thing. Like, this one guy was giving me this, like, your integrity or like, whatever. I'm just like, I'm just like, people who, to me, people who post stuff on YouTube, you, anybody can post anything on YouTube. Just because you have like a gear series on YouTube 
does not an expert make you, you know, like, come <laughs> Wait, on. Hold, a, hold on a second. Yeah, I know this is going <laughs> to shock everyone. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, maybe I'm old school in that way. But like, it's, it, you know, it, it was incredible to me when people are like, well, you're here acting like an authority. I'm like, I'm just some person that was like, hey, let's interview. Like, show me what you got kind of a thing. Like, I don't mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild, like <laughs> how people can react. So, you know, yeah, YouTube is a wild situation. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's all. I feel like all. I I haven't done YouTube specifically because I'm just like I can't deal with YouTube. It's like people oh, yeah. are so much more aggressive on YouTube than anywhere else. Oh yeah, and so I was just like. Meow, meow. I'm going to just stay on Instagram for yeah. <laughs> I might, I might, I might actually go to YouTube at some point, but also like, it is true. It's like getting people, people are very nervous to be interviewed, yeah. especially with pic, you know, video. And so like, I don't, you know, you're going to end up losing some folks that way too. And it's, I don't know, I guess it could go either way, but yeah, but gear, especially yeah. it's like, it's so beautiful. Like I want, you know, I you want to see it. You want to like have close ups of like, mm-hmm. but, like I came up with this like camera angle where it's like, you know, oh, down, yeah. like you can see everybody like adjusting the gear, like the different yep. settings and everything. It's like, that's the joy of gear is like really like ogling, like all the like mm-hmm. cool shit that people have all the, not, all the little knobs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a thing that's like doing like a, you know, online interview would still be cool, but it's like, yeah, it's like you can't beat like being in person and, and like being able to like literally touch yeah. the gear, you know, yeah. like it's, it's kind of anachronistic or something. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, I was excited that you did it and that you're psyched about it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a fun learning experience. So hopefully I can yeah. bring it back. And because I get comments all the time, people are like, what the fuck? Like, why are you making more episodes? And I'm just like, I got shit. To do. You got other things to do. It takes a lot of time. <laughs> Writing records. That's important, too. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Being a musician. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, all right. So I want to scoot a little bit and specifically sort of like land us in you know, talking about the ways that like sort of gender and like identities more broadly and gear sort of like intersect. So I don't know if you want to talk about like how that's worked out for you. It could be with regard to like gear specifically recording, whatever, however you want to broach that. Gosh, I know I was thinking about this ahead of time and I was like, it's so, I mean, gender just kind of touches basically everything musically. There's no area that is immune to it so it's hard to like narrow down like what is like the biggest area that i've faced difficulties i mean i feel like i get it a lot more my gender is pointed out to me mostly when i play live i'd say i hear it Mm -hmm. the most especially when i'm not playing in like if you're playing like in a major city like i'm from chicago so you know i think it's pretty known like etiquette wise like what to say or not say although Uh you know there's still plenty of people in chicago that could (laughs) use some help with that but like definitely when you get out like into non you know major cities it's you know there's just like a lot of you know People getting up in your space while you're trying to set up and being like, you know, I've literally had people ask me, oh, do you know how to play that? Do you actually know how to play that? I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. even my boobs don't even get in the way. It's crazy. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. stuff like, um, you know, after a show, I get this one a lot. 
oh, you know, when you first got on stage, to be honest, I thought you were going to suck because of, you know, the way you look. And you're actually pretty good. It's like, like that's supposed to be some huge compliment, you uh-huh. know, and it's just basically, I feel like it's, it's related to like the way I dress. And, um, mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's a thing with women that like, you're just judged more harshly. Like the way you dress is like sending a signal. Like I get a lot like, oh, you don't dress the style of music that you play. Like, I guess that it's like. Women, like, if you play aggressive music, you're supposed to be, like, have tattoos or dyed hair or, yeah. like, piercings. And I'm just, like, I don't have any of those things. I wear glasses, uh-huh. you know. And it's this funny thing where it's, like, there is a ton of men who play hardcore metal. They're, they do not have tattoos. They just have glasses. And nobody says shit about that. And nobody, like, right. comes up to... Like, nobody's coming up to Steve Albini and being like, dude, you don't dress like the style of music you play. <laughs> so why is it happening to women? Yeah. Like that just, it's just annoying. Have you considered wearing a jumpsuit <laughs> all the time? <laughs> My coveralls. I think that would help. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like a Devo thing? Yeah, I, I, it's just like that. That's probably you can hear in my voice. That's probably what irritates me the most is like, yeah, I had, you know, a guy be like, are you dressing like that on purpose? Like I was just wearing literally what like just like a black turtleneck dress. It was the plainest thing you could think of. And I'm like, well, I don't even know how to respond to that. Like, am I wearing it on purpose? You know what? Fuck you. Yeah. Everyone's wearing everything. I know. It's like, well, I got up in the morning and like yeah. put it on. So I guess there was some conscious effort. Like no one else yeah. dressed me. But it's like this weird thing that it's like, oh, like w- if it's a woman, she must be like deliberately doing something to try to evoke this reaction in me or something. I don't know. Right. Right. It's like. I feel like it's it's less a problem of like male psychology than like heterosexual <laughs> psychology where it's right. just like I don't know like some heterosexual gaze, men like, yeah like yeah, it's just like, like oh well if I like feel attracted to you then and I can't like also respect you as a person or something right. I don't know it's just, it's really <laughs> annoying and I it's like I don't want to think about it because I don't I really don't want to understand it ultimately I don't know uh-huh yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's a bummer. But also not uncommon, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 This, is, this so. is not a novel experience. But like, it was funny because I, I had some hope, and not that things haven't changed, but I, I think I had some hope that, like, coming back after the <laughs> pandemic that we are still in, that is not over yet. <laughs> um, but, yeah. like, for show back, that things might be different. And it was just like, it all came back to me. I mean, I not to say that there weren't pe- great people at the show, sure. but it was like one of those, it's outside of the city. You know, one guy came up to me. My drummer had actually had his, his car broke down in this, on the expressway on the way to the gig, so he missed it. I had to go oh. on solo, which I didn't have a solo set re- prepared. I used to just from, mm-hmm. like, the old days when, like, my band was, yeah. like, ending. And, and I didn't, I just had to, do it on the fly and just kind of like make it up as I went along. So I performed solo and then I'm standing at the merch table and a dude literally came up to me and pointed at the record with my own face on it. Are you helping this band out? 
like I'm their merch girl. I'm like, I am the, I'm literally the only person in this band. Like, I, I how am I so invisible to you? You know, like it just that wow. a girl at a merch table, there's no way you could be in the band, you know? And it's like that, like my husband will come and like help me loading because I'm loading two rigs worth of amplifiers and cabs <laughs> for every mm-hmm. show. And it's even so, it's just always, like, hey, are you in the band? To him, no, I am not in the band. She is. Oh, and then I get the, oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> oh, that's so great. You know, it's like, okay, yes, mm-hmm. I understand why you're saying that. Thank you. I know I <laughs> have to overcome my disability of being female <laughs> to be here today. And then they inevitably turn back to him and go, well, do you play an instrument? And he goes, no, I don't. And I think that's like another thing that like women deal with a lot. Oh, yeah. Like, especially if like you have good gear. The first thing people think is like, who's she dating? Who's her, mm-hmm. her boyfriend that told her about that gear? Like, who, mm-hmm. who's. Or is that? Yeah, gear? exactly. Oh, he yeah. must be in like a really big band. She must be dating a guy from like an even bigger band. And mm-hmm. she's like, why? Like, I. You know what I did? I did the same thing everybody does, which is I read magazines and went online and learned about gear and was mm-hmm. d- talked to people and like had buddies that had like different amplifiers that I had to try out and find what I like. Like it's it, it's such an archaic backwards mentality that like I'm still getting when <laughs> when I play. Yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> Because so this is getting exactly into and a question I had coming up too, which was like moving gear. Yeah, like I feel like it's weird that actually hasn't come up on the podcast that much. I'm kind of surprised. Really? Oh my god. Yeah. I had because um, I think about it all the time. No, I had well one guy. Um, our record release show we when we released a re- record we played in Madison, and um, I was loading out my gear and I heard a guy on the street go, "Look at that guy making his girlfriend load his gear for him." Ugh. Yeah. 2019, <laughs> Wisconsin evolved. Wow. I mean, it's just like, it's just fucking annoying where it's yeah. like, why? Like, why is that these, like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, <laughs> like, why would I be loading my boyfriend's gear? Like, it, it's just, it's stupid. Yeah. 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 I think it's partly because I saw that you had those emperor caps yeah. and I was like, I had, I had an emperor cab at one point and I was like, this is a trillion pounds. yeah <laughs> there it's beautiful but also this is this is a piece of wood this is like it is solid yeah i got like, the, i have a yeah. 215 like big emperor that i'll occasionally yeah. bring out like locally people mm-hmm. people just love big cabs they love seeing they're beautiful they're a pain in the ass to load but they like certainly people are, love yes. seeing that shit they do yeah so yeah, yeah. occasionally I'll like bring it out, but I have a 115. I usually load for like touring okay. and everything. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I was like, that's like, because you have to then physically like be a part of figuring out what that, how to get it to where it needs to go, and but then also like you have to deal with the extra crap that you're gonna get from people as you're physically moving it. Yeah, and like what's that gonna be? The comments, and, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, so never anyway, fun. And then, it's also and God bless people. Like I do not mean to criticize, but like I can also see when people are like have this moment of panic where they're like, do I offer to help or is that oh, insulting yeah. <laughs> or something uh-huh. like that? And it's just like it is not insulting to offer to help, but like I mean, if you're gonna be like 
Hey, little lady, looks like you could use some help there. Okay, well, then, yeah, you're being insulting, but it's just like, it's the way you say it. If you're just like, right. Hey, dude, like, let me know if you need any help, just as you would to a man, then there's zero problem. I will right. definitely take you up on that offer, you know? Yeah. By the same token, if you're just some, like, I'm loading in and you're some stranger, I get this too, strangers on the street yeah. that are just walking by, oh, do you need help with that? Nope. I do not know who you are and I do not need your help, you know? Yeah. So so (laughs) that's my primer on what is acceptable and what is not. Thank you. Yes. Because it's such a big part of playing shows and it doesn't really get the attention it deserves. Dude, like I totally, when people are like, when, when does sexism happen? Like, when do you see that? I always tell people, pay attention to loading, loading in, loading on stage, loading, like getting off stage, loading out people saying stuff like right after the set. And then at the merch table, those are the places Mm -hmm. that it happens. Like, yeah, that uh, I'd say like 90% of what I, I mean, there's like a chunk online, but that's, I don't know. I just ignore that. (laughs) But like, yeah, by and large, like that's when it happens and it's it, it, it like it would be an interesting experiment for people to just kind of like hang back and just kind of like observe because a lot of people don't do that at shows they're we're mm-hmm. all on our phones we're all like very focused on like what you know interactions we're having and we're not necessarily paying attention to yeah. you know and this is like as people become more aware of sexual assault that's when that happens too that's when people get cornered when they're moving yep. from place to place or when they are standing in an isolated place like the merch table, you know, yep. and I think it's important for people like to pay extra attention during th- mm-hmm. that time. Like it's it can be like that first show back that I was saying, like, not that people weren't awesome at the show, but there was like <laughs> one guy who came up to me and like literally just stared at my chest the whole time while he was talking to Ugh. me and I had forgotten it had been so long the pandemic, I had forgotten the way I was, quote unquote, supposed to dress at shows. I was just dressing like mm-hmm. how I normally dress. And yeah. it was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I used to, like, deliberately dress in a way that, like, covered my chest region <laughs> so that uh-huh. I didn't have to have those kind of interactions because it right. fills me with fucking rage. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, but nobody else. Nobody else is seeing what's going on. Everybody else is drunk. They're just happy. And it's just like you having this like shitty interaction with a human Mm -hmm. being that like no one else knows about. (laughs) And it's, that can be so isolating for women. It's cool to have like people just observing. Like even if you, I don't think people necessarily have like an obligation to be like, sir, please stop doing that or something. But it would mean a lot to me if like I have an interaction like that at a merch table and like somebody came up to me and be like, hey, I heard what that dude said to you. And I just thought that was bullshit. You know, just even having like that or I saw what he did or I saw how he touched you. And I didn't think that was cool. Just having that validation of being like somebody else saw this and it, it was noted that even means yeah. a lot to me. It's like, I don't even necessarily, like, I can handle it. But I just like having, yeah. like, the moral support of somebody being like, it's, it, this 
you know, sexual assault exists. Sexism exists. I witnessed it, you know? Yeah. It's validating your experience exactly. instead of like pretending it didn't never yep. happened at all. And you're just making, because I mean, for, for no years reason. I've had people yeah. be like, Oh, I'm sure he didn't mean it that way. Or like, maybe mm-hmm. I, I, it's like, it was uh, like, people were trying to help me by being like, Oh, don't feel bad about it because that's not actually what happened. I'm like, yeah, that that makes me feel worse. <laughs> that is happening. I lot, think that's friends. lessened after like Me Too, and people are like, "Oh, believe sure. women." What? Yeah, yeah. Oh. consider this. <laughs> mm. So, as far as like gear acquisition, mm-hmm. have you had any like particularly good or bad experiences of like going to shops or like Craigslist or whatever the thing might be? I'll say my <laughs> probably my best gear buying experience was I I hate haggling. Like, it's just, I, mm-hmm. I just hate it. I hate that that's, like, a part of gear buying. But um, I saw, when I got my um, beta, the Sun beta head that I, I mm-hmm. route my base signal through, I, w- I was looking for one. One came up at a music store, like, a, just, like, a small used music store in Chicago. And I was, like, mm-hmm. it was part of, a, a like, an old combo amp that I was just going to harvest the amplifier out of. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go into this place and like act like, oh, I don't know. Like the, the, the cat of like the actual cab, part, the speakers part of the combo, like somebody had built like wooden doors <laughs> to like protect, <laughs> I guess, protect the grill cloth on it or something. Wow. It was, it was, it looked so stupid. So I was like, okay, I'm going to like, like make a big deal about that and being wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. So like I go and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like with this thing, it's really old. <laughs> like that was a bad thing about it. And I was like, it, I think it was like listed for like three fifty. I'm like, can you do it for three hundred? And he goes, No, mm-hmm. I can do it for two fifty. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> was like, Wait, what? <laughs> what just happened here? Like I've never wow. had like somebody in a guitar store do me a favor. So um, I was wow. like, All right. <laughs> and that is the That's story of how I got my beta. So. Um, wow. Yeah. In my head, in my head, like somebody's like making the front of your cab into like a dollhouse. Like you're putting like some little doors on there and you open it up. There's like a little diamor- diorama happening. It w- if you haven't done it yet, I feel like something. To it was the weirdest thing I've seen. It's like, oh, you're so concerned about like protecting the grill cloth and making it look nice that you drilled holes to install these doors. Like, it's like it's like when you go by somebody's house and they have one of those like don't let your dog poop on our yeah. lawn signs, but the actual sign looks worse yeah. than the poop. Like <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, oh yeah. my God. All right. So I feel like this is something I was thinking about as well. Like, so I feel like we can, I, I, I promise that we're, we're starting to like slow this down. We're getting towards the end, but I feel like we just have so many things to talk yeah, about. You're fun to talk um, to. <laughs> and you. So, so I feel like we share probably some like similar musical influences, yeah. like probably like, some 90s like Chicago yes, stuff yeah, yeah. like touch and go kind yep. of stuff or whatever post hardcore post rock whatever and I, I'm just making this assumption <laughs> here we are but like musically that scene has been also like particularly you know pretty masculine yes. I think it pretends not to always be but like yeah. it inherently sort of is how's that feeling for you <laughs> you know for me it's just it's it's interesting because just growing up with it, I mean, like being from mm-hmm. Chicago, I mean, that it just, mm-hmm. you kind of didn't, for me, I didn't like question it so much because it's just like mm-hmm. this thing that are, already existed. I think when I started playing guitar, I was, 
I was aware that like women were not seen as equals, but I thought it was like, you know, I, which is, I later have realized is a sexist belief. I had really thought that it was just like, oh, there's just not that many women who play guitar. And I, like my 13 year old brain was like, guitar is just an instrument, like piano. Like there would be, you're just moving your fingers. Like why would it matter what gender you are? I thought that was so ridiculous. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, well that'll be easy to fix. Cause I'll just be like a woman who's really good at my instrument. And then, like, men will know that we're not inferior. Mm. <laughs> it's like, wow, that was nice. But, you know, it's funny because it's like, I think there are that that belief still exists in many people that it's just like, oh, well, there will be gender equality in music when women are just as good as men. You know, like mm-hmm. women, ju- we oh, we just need to, like, help them be better. And then there will be and it's just like, no, that's not at all the case. And so I think, like, I don't know, maybe that's how I see that kind of, like, sexism still persisting, is that often I think mm-hmm. women who do something really cool are seen as, like, exceptions to the rule still. Right. Where it's, like, understand that that is just as bad as having, like, any other sexist belief. Like, that just perpetuates the system that, like you know, women are inherently worse at something or it's often not phrased as like women are inherently worse, but like women aren't just are just aren't interested in this style of music or they're just not like, and it's just like, there's no, there's so, (laughs) there's so many of us. And Mm -hmm. like, I think like we get, it's frustrating for women that it's like, you get this feedback from people that are like, how have I never heard of you before? Like, oh my God, like blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, I want to be like, it's not your fault. It's not my fault either. There's a whole (laughs) industry that doesn't want to represent people like us. And I think people think, they think the reverse is true. They think record labels and like people in the industry, the bookers, that they are, oh, like women who play heavy music are these unicorns and like, boy, they roll out the red carpet for you. Oh my God. I have played <laughs> so many fucking empty rooms in my life. Like that is right. just so like people think like, Oh, people are showing up to your shows just cause you're a woman. Nobody. No, no one is showing up to anything because you're a woman. Like people are like actively not showing up to things cause you're a woman. It's like those, ca- mm-hmm. I feel like it's like those reverse sexist beliefs that are just as bad as like hol- at holding people back than, you know, just outright like misogyny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like almost like a little more subtle to some degree. Yeah. Because it's like this thing that's yeah. like, oh, well, you're obviously equal because the people are must be extra nice to you because you're a woman. What? No, <laughs> not at all. Right. Like, I wish right. people were, you know, <laughs> like, I wish people more people were making an effort to specifically represent women. I see it in bits and pieces, but I think a lot of people are still very resistant to doing that because it's like, I'll have people tell me specifically, I just want you to, like, I like you because you're good, not because of your gender, because you're good. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, thank you. But like, also, that's not wrong to support women <laughs> because they're women. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not a bad thing or that's not like an insult right. to me. 
Like, I, to me, I think it's like if you see, fight, see a woman doing something that you're just like, oh, I love it. It's like, then love it. But then also maybe make like a special effort because she's also a woman <laughs> to support it. Yeah. I don't know. That's my solution. Or to- alternately, <laughs> if it's something that you like here and it's maybe slightly different than yes. what you're used to because somebody had a different life experience and created something different that like, you know, that might be valuable as well. You are so correct about this. Like I always say, like there is an entire half of the rock heavy music canon that is missing because of systemic underrepresentation of women. So that like when we release music, it is only evaluated in the context of like a very few women. Like I was, I'm like, yeah. you know, you have to be one of the Kims. That was always like one of the things. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody's doing like a Kim yep. Im- impersonation and like you yep. have to be compared to like one of those. And it's like, there's, there is just like an entire part of music that is to me missing where it's like mm-hmm. when you do something that's kind of like, kind of floating in between genres it's not just like a like very specific thing mm-hmm. people are like i don't know is she trying to sound like this thing and failing like i think that's like an assumption <laughs> and it's like no yeah, yeah, yeah. like no you know, like we play uh, we, we do like heavy aggressive music but it is not metal it is not it, it, like mm-hmm. even what people think of as noise rock it's not really that either you know it's I don't know really what genre it really fits into. It probably doesn't fit yeah. neatly into anyone, but like that should be a sign that it's like, well, I'm trying something new. I'm trying something different, you right. know. But yeah, sometimes I yeah, I do. Feel How that. dare yeah, you? Yeah, like th- that. Like <laughs> people are like, you know, there's it's like this. It's very this very polarized thing. There are some people who are like, oh my god, like this is incredible. Like you're. I love what you're doing. And then other people are like, you know, more like, well, it's not like something I know. (laughs) Like it can easily (laughs) identify like, oh, you like people who like when you sound exactly like someone else that they know. Right. You know? Right. So I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. Uh, people, people like predictability. And if it's not that, then. Yeah. There's, I I feel like there's just like certain, segments of audience that I do really well with like novelty seeking people and Mm -hmm. I do really well with people who is just like I just like it somebody getting on stage being really passionate being I don't care what style of music is I just want to see somebody like going for it playing their heart out I feel Mm -hmm. like those audiences I do really well with but I feel like people that are like more you know like I like black metal only yeah. <laughs> or like something like that. Is well, like, I could see that like, like being an do. issue. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I could see that being an issue, obviously popping up in, um, you know, if you're opening up for particular bands, that kind of thing, like whoever is like, like people just like not knowing how to like take it kind of yeah. thing. Oh my God. We opened for High on Fire a couple months ago and I was just mm-hmm. like, oh my God, are these people going to hate us? <laughs> How's this going to you know? go? Yeah. And it was so funny because it was like, it could have gone either way and people ended up loving it. They were so supportive. And it, uh, I was joking around because like this one song, like we finished playing and people like applauded and everything. And then it goes silent. And this one guy's like, 
what is happening right now? Why is this like what a pleasant surprise or something? Everybody just starts laughing. <laughs> that's adorable. And it's like, but to me, it's like that. that's exactly the type of artist I want to be. Like, I love being yeah. in like the little band no one saw coming. Like, you know, like it, because it's like the whole philosophy too is like to sound enormous for just two people. And I've and yeah. sometimes like people like are get like I can see confusion on people's faces because they're like, what? I don't understand what's going on right now, you know, but it's like Did you have people like they're like looking to see if there's like a secret guitar or like secret bass player like behind there, the curtain? There is of? something so amusing that happens at Judah shows where like people will like look kind of confused and they'll kind of like walk up to the stage and then they'll see mm-hmm. what I'm doing with my feet and then like this surprise comes <laughs> over and they're like you can see on their face that are just like oh and yeah. then they then they walk back to like where their friends are and then they like start whispering, like, <laughs> whispering to yeah. them mm-hmm. and I, I just love that kind of stuff because that's exactly how I would be as an audience member I'd be like yes. oh fucking shit like I can't believe they're doing that <laughs> yes yeah. you know I love yeah. stuff like that where it's like whoa I've mm-hmm. never seen that before like cool yeah where is that sound yeah oh yeah uh so all right so so we talked a little bit at the beginning about like your recent uh, situation where you were sort of like getting some treatment for uh oh, the, mental the whole trauma therapy thing yeah 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 and i guess one of i, I did want to bring that back quickly before we yeah. head out just around like how that intersects like i guess uh with your experience of music and gender um, well, just to give people some background, so I have what's known as complex post-traumatic stress disorder or CPTSD. Thank you. I couldn't remember if we already <laughs> talked about it or not. I, anyway, I appreciate um, that. Yeah. So it's similar to like, it's in the same family as the standard PTSD people have heard of, but instead of being caused by a single traumatic event, it's caused by complex trauma or sustained and repeated trauma over an extended period of time. So this is most often associated with like abuse or neglect in childhood, just kind of growing up under these like sort of chronic conditions. It can even just be like a low grade, you know, abusive environment. So basically it's, it's a disorder I've struggled with for like over 20 years, but I never knew what it really was until this past year, like when the pandemic started, all of a sudden my symptoms started coming back. Cause I like, mm-hmm. this is common in CPTSD is like, you'll go through what are kind of called like regulated phases. Cause it's primarily an emotional regulation disorder. Like you just get like buried in like feeling <laughs> and what, like you'll just mm-hmm. feel it to like the nth degree of very extreme feelings. And so you'll go through periods where you're like very regulated and doing okay. And then all of a sudden everything crumbles. There's like a lot of like suicidal ideation involved in it. So I had quit playing music for a long time um, because of going through those. And then I went through another one and I I actually came back to playing music as like a way of kind Mm -hmm. of like healing and then, and it worked like playing music actually really helped yeah. But then when the pandemic happened, it was like all the stuff started coming back. And I was just like, I was devastated because I'm like, I've worked so hard just kind of mm-hmm. like managing this thing I didn't really understand on my own. And then yeah, when I went into trauma therapy, that was when I they really explained 
the disorder to me in a way I could understand and be like, yes, this is me. Like the, I met other people with the same disorder. I'm like, yeah, these are my people. Like, (laughs) yes. Cause sometimes in therapy, like you don't, it's just you and a therapist. So it's like, you're right. like, am I nor I guess I'm just weird or like I have weird problems <laughs> that no one else has. And I mm-hmm. went through like a group, like two month intensive trauma therapy thing where I, it, I really understood like my disorder, where I fit in with everybody. And it, um, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think of like how any intersection with like gender and music, I would just be like, it just, it kind of changed. This was also part of like changing the way like I write music and kind of yeah. the purpose behind it. Cause like some of the effects of having a trauma disorder is just like your self-confidence is just in the toilet. Like you just like, mm-hmm. are, especially for like being a musician, like getting on stage and like, talking publicly to people like i mean like having no confidence self-confidence and like yeah. doing that it just it doesn't make make any sense like mm-hmm. it's just like it just really felt like things fell apart for me and like it's for me it's just been kind of like regrouping and finding like a new purpose in doing this well oh here's the intersection that i'm thinking of i think women right. in music just like being socialized in a certain way you're not supposed to like do things for yourself. You have to do things for the community. Mm. You have to do things for other people. Mm -hmm. You have to like other, other things are your focus, not yourself. That's being selfish. Uh If you do that. And I feel like with this coming back to music after doing the trauma therapy, I'm like, I'm doing this for me. Like, this is all just for me. This is, these songs are just what I want, you know, kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. And it's like, that, I mean, it sounds very simple to say, but that is like huge for me to be able to say that. It was just like, I just don't care. Yeah. Like maybe this new album, nobody's going to like it, you know, but I, I fucking love it. I do. <laughs> I really Good. love it. Cause it's just like, I'm just following my vision and really mm-hmm. just saying like, this is me. This is what I want. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, and I have to do this. Like, it's not even about the music. I just have to do this as like, part of healing from this trauma disorder this is my life like if i and yet i want to do this right i like i want to get this so yeah yeah (laughs) yeah 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 i mean it was just something that occurred to me i mean obviously people talk a lot about like music and like people having mental health issues and trauma and things like that and as like as a way of processing but i feel like uh there's more there's so much more to it than that and then also like layering on top of that the challenges that might come up you know like with people who are experiencing like who have some sort of like oppressed identity it just sort of like seems like it's sort of like layering on top of it yeah in in some ways yeah for sure i mean yeah the uh, complex trauma is like a really interesting thing to learn about and i feel like i think we're gonna hear more and more about this especially yeah living under like children growing up in this pandemic i mean i can't even imagine Mm -hmm children that are growing up in households with like neglect and abuse in it. And now like during the pandemic being trapped in that environment, you can't even, I at least could get away to school and do like, I can't even imagine like being there. uh, Like it's like Mm -hmm. a pressure cooker situation, which just makes everything worse. 
So, you know, and I think like we are seeing like some symptoms of complex trauma can be eating disorders. That's a very common thing. And now I'm hearing all this stuff about how like eating disorders among children are skyrocketing. I mean, children, like I'm going to cry even thinking about it. It's awful. Like hearing what girls are going through, like on Instagram, social media, making it even worse. And that's why like, I feel like a special need to like really be like talk about this because i want people to know that like yeah these aren't just like oh that's weird the eating disorders are going like we need to like talk about like what like not just like a pop culture sense of like oh trauma you know but Mm -hmm. that has a real definition that is a real concept that is applied in psychology yeah and when people like throw around triggered like oh my god or like like, like, gaslighting the wrong way yeah it's just like right it's like no for people with trauma disorders like those terms have real meanings and they are important Mm -hmm. and i don't want to sound like hyperbolic about it but it is no it is something that I feel like it is important that for people with trauma disorders, like if you have the ability to talk about it and you are at a point in your recovery that you feel like you can, it is good to do that because it is important, I think, to like not just have people's education be like a Twitter or a meme, Twitter post or like a meme that they saw about right. trauma. Like these are, I had to, it was a very sustained learning experience mm-hmm. going into tra- like the first week this is common to the first week of the program i was like i do not have a trauma disorder <laughs> like this is this is absurd you know because your brain doesn't <laughs> want to admit it you know uh-huh and so yeah like, that, that can be another component to it is like a lot of people boy the refrain of it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad people say that all the time oh yeah i, have a, I had a mm-hmm. shitty childhood but it wasn't that bad well, let mm-hmm. me tell you what you got. <laughs> Go in trauma right. therapy. Boy, some memories come up that like yeah. get bare. That's that's just how the human mind works. And that's a hard yeah. thing for anybody to go through. But I think it's important to talk about it because it's it's made me so much stronger as a person, more effective as a person, more effective as a musician. Mm-hmm. So th- this isn't mm-hmm. just like a touchy-feely type thing there is a logical argument for going like taking disorders like these seriously and talking about Mm -hmm. them yeah and just put like and it it, you know you're able to see the strengths that have like you know you've been able to adapt to which like in some cases might not be strengths but like in some cases really can be yeah uh, which you not, not to say that like that in any way that like, this is, you know, like a good, glad, good thing that's yeah. happened, but like, <laughs> but for you to be able to like, to see that to some degree, like the ways that you're, you know, yeah you're, you've been able to adapt. It's, it's interesting. Cause it's like, I'm older. So I, it's, I've been dealing with this so long. I'm, I mm-hmm. told him I will do literally anything to fix it. I will, I'm, I, yeah. there's no amount yeah. of work I am afraid of. There is no amount of like weird psychological depths i will not go to i will fix this like i will do it yeah and it's it's interesting seeing like some of the younger people like i remember being like that at that age where it's like yeah i don't want to like take this too seriously like maybe i can fix it some other way and it's like the only way out is through like you that's that's what i found too long i'm just like this you have to 
you can try to avoid it every way you can think of, but it's going to, it's going to kind of catch up with you eventually. If you have the, if you have the symptoms and you are diagnosed with a disorder, that is, it's real. Like you had, you need to accept it and you need to do the work. Yeah. And I think it's hard because it is like the, the, you know, I think people have the opportunity, like people go in for therapy and they're dealing with it like a little bit at a time. And it almost, I think for some folks that just is like, it almost like draws it out. So I can imagine like a being like just getting in there for two weeks, like we're going to do it. Yeah. And not that it, not that you're like done. No. Whatever, oh, no. But like the, <laughs> I'm using air yeah. quotes, but like, you know, to be able to like kind of sit in it for a little bit and like have some more intensive tools and things like that. Yeah. I've been, I'm you know, like, after useful. I came out of the program, I'm, I'm noticing now kind of like the phases that I go through where like, I'll go through like a couple months that are really good. Things are mm-hmm. clicking. And then all of a sudden it starts feeling like everything's falling apart again. And yeah. I have to use what I've learned to not freak out and just be like, this is what happens. This is part of the disorder. This is something I'm living with. There's nothing wrong with it. And then I have to wait till then all of a sudden things like come back together again. And just like, you just kind of have to know that like, you know, there is always, because that's, that's a common thing with having a trauma disorder is like when you're sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flight is going on. Like you are not aware that there is like a, future in the distance, you know, you have to like get yourself out of that um, mindset in order to like, remember, oh yeah, like a month from now, I'm not going to feel this way at all. That can be Mm -hmm. like one of the hardest things for somebody with CPTSD to learn because your brain is telling you, no, I know. (laughs) Like I, I know everything. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly, you know, that's, that's having a trauma disorder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about it just because I feel like it's like I feel like we talk about mental health here, like here and there and like it does come up. But it's like and I'm I'm a huge proponent of therapy. Obviously, I know it doesn't work for everybody mm. and it works differently for everybody. But like, yeah, I just I appreciate you taking the time to talk about it. Oh, yeah. No problem at all. And I will yeah. say, like, I had felt so failed by the medical community for like Pretty much yeah. all my life, the last thing I wanted to do was to go back to therapy, especially in like a medicalized yeah. setting. And it oh, ended boy. up being like yeah. one of the best decisions I've ever made. So I will yeah. throw yeah. that out there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I mean, I, totally, 100%. And different things work for different people. Yes. Different people work for different people. And it's great. It's yeah. great. But, you know, it's, and I also recommend that people who haven't experienced some sort of traumatic event or mental health issue or don't think that they have get support. Everybody can benefit from, you know, looking in in at the, their own experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, yeah. obviously the, the, what we've gone through collectively during the pandemic makes it yeah. crucial for everybody. You know, a lot of the for trauma disorders, it's literally what everyone's been experiencing in the pandemic, like the changes everyone has noticed in themselves just mm-hmm. like on steroids. Like that's what a trauma disorder is. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So, all right. So we're going to start, start closing in here a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> so if you were speaking to folks in the industry and they like reached out to you, it could be like people who like do gear, it mm. could be other bands, venue owners, whatever. And they were asking you specifically for recommendations about how to like make positive change to make it like a better space for folks. Like what would you tell them? You know, one of the things that's top of mind to me that occurs in other industries that I don't always see it in music is mentorship. 
Mm, that is, mm. I, it's just common knowledge in every industry. Like if you want to move up, um, there's often, you know, a person higher up that like you build a rapport with, they kind of take you under their wing, give mm-hmm. you advice, give you support. Like, Hey, yeah. If you ever need anything, have a question, reach out to me, you know, like share, share, inform- share knowledge, share resources. And that's, I feel like that's just so something missing in the industry that people yeah. don't think about. It's like, it's not enough to just be like, oh, well, we need, we need to add a woman to the show or something like making sustainable, yeah. like, you know, oh, if you're a pitchfork and you're like, we're going to have a, all women this year. Well, congratulations. Is that a sustainable, <laughs> like, you know, right. support for women? Like, I feel like the music industry is like very, you know, concerned with like big flashy displays of like, oh, we support women, you know? And then there's like yeah. a one and done thing where it's like, well, you even, it, even though it was a grand gesture, it didn't actually yeah. change anything. It's like, just like, you know, throwing money at a problem and then not like following up with it. So I feel yeah. like those, like making a sustained commitment to platforming women, making a sustained commitment to like offering mentorship to women, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not just like a, hey, like offering like a one off thing. Really being like, yeah. can I like build a rapport with you? Can I build a relationship? You know, and this is also with me too, very important thing, a no strings attached (laughs) relationship. Yes. I was going to bring that up. I was like, not like this, like the, the, I mean, the thing with like the Mike Pence rule or whatever, I feel like has really made people, do you know what is this? He had this rule where he could only have dinner. Oh, yes. He could only have a meeting with women if his wife was there. And it's like, if that's your take on things and you're like, well, I can't have a one-on-one meeting with you because I'm worried that like, you know, you're going to accuse me of something and you're like, no, no, that's not how it works. Uh, That that really puts a damper on people's ability to have that mentorship and and to build that rapport. And, um, and and yeah. I fully admit this is a difficult thing because it's difficult for men and women because women yeah. have, I mean, I know I'm very hesitant to enter into <laughs> any sort of, sure. you know, relationship where like I am receiving something from a guy because it's like, what is in the past that I've definitely had terrible experiences where it's like, oh yeah, yeah something's expected of me to be grateful Mm -hmm. in return. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't want to be in that fucking situation ever again. And then by the same token, like, I think that there's a lot of men that like, they want to do the right thing, but they just have anxiety of like, am I going to do this the right way? There's no, there's no guidance here. I'm just kind of like, you know, don't want any, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. And so it's, I'm, this is not like an easy thing. Like, oh yeah, everybody be a mentor, (laughs) you know? Right. Well, and that's, this is the whole thing where it's like the dynamics of things are so weird where it's like, if everybody could just like, if we could dial it down so that there isn't this like weird sexual, you know, expectation that people could just interact with people like people instead of interacting with people like, you know, some sort of sexual goal or whatever, or expectation, then it would decrease the the problems yeah definitely (laughs) and i think it's like for women like my own experience it's like as i've gotten older i'm like a lot wiser so i can see some of like the you know (laughs) 
red flags. Signs. Where it, <laughs> yeah. it, do, it doesn't feel as difficult now as it did when I was younger. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel... I'm, I don't even know what it's like to be 17, 18, 19 years old nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... I feel for young women so much because it's like, I remember how clueless I felt then where I'm like, I don't know, this feels wrong. Like, is it Mm -hmm. weird? Am I being hypersensitive by like whatever? Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when I was 18, I went my first semester in college, I went to school for writing and I won this poetry award, like the big poetry award for freshmen. And I was like so excited about it. And the professor who gave it to me was like, yeah, like you, I think you're really talented, but I think you need like a lot of help. And, you know, um, we should start meeting after class all the time. And then I'm like, I'm, I just turned 18. And I was like, okay, I think Uh this is like a bad situation. (laughs) So then I asked my 28 year old boyfriend, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to find to determine if this guy was being a creep, which he he confirmed he was, which okay. you know takes one to know one. Uh, <laughs> hey, oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a thing where it's just like okay, you know. And then I was like, why am I not good at writing? Like, did this guy just like he was just trying to get me alone? Yeah. So I'm actually bad at writing, or am I good? Oh, no. And it's like yeah, those kind of situations where it's like. Did I want somebody to help me become a better writer? Like, one-on-one attention? Absolutely. But, like, you know, it ends up being, like, a thing that really can negatively affect your self-confidence. So I I worry about, Mm -hmm. you know, people that age nowadays, like, you know... It's it's hard. It takes like a lot of you have to make a lot of mistakes, get in a lot of awkward situations before you figure it out. And it sucks that there's, you know, maybe things have improved somewhat, but I don't know. <laughs> I I certainly hope so, but I don't. I'm not confident that that's yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah, I it's it's unfortunate that that people feel like they that's how they are taught to treat other people, yeah. which is a bummer. Yeah. So yeah, well. Right. Well, mentorship is on the list. If you can do it right, get it together. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like an actual like yeah. professional mentorship arrangement. And there yeah. are like professional standards in other industries for mentorship. Like mm-hmm. they have, you know, things like that. And it would be great for people to talk about like informal mentorships that they've had and what has worked in those for men to share knowledge Mm -hmm. with you. Like, I think men need to start talking about this and be like, here's, yeah, here's how I work with women. You know, like, here's why it's no big deal. Like the guys who can, because there are plenty of men who can do this seamlessly and have no problem. Right. It would be fantastic for them to share their experiences and talk about it. So that the non-creepo men out there will be like, oh, okay, it's actually not that hard, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So as we're ending our conversation, what are you, like, psyched about for people to know about? Obviously, you have this record coming out. Anything else that's coming up? Um, nothing specific. I just did, we just recorded a collaboration EP with a local Chicago band called Imelda Marcos. Um, who are just like I'm this like really insane noise duo that just do really crazy textural type stuff, and they just approached me to say like, 
hey, do you want to try putting vocals over our music? I, I, I do vocals and I play flip bass in the band. I don't do anything <laughs> with my hands. So it's really funny. I don't know why. That's like, that feels like you're doing like some sort of like, It totally dance, is. Like... It's just me stomping around. Also, I feel like if you're, if you're playing with Amelda Marcos, you do have to wear I know. I was joking point, with them. Right? I was like, like, that's like, I was like, oh, this is like when the heels have to come out. But <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, if you're not playing the guitar, maybe now's the time. I feel like. But yeah, we're going to be releasing that, I think, in May. So if people want to look for that EP, it's so cool. I mean, it is just, like, batshit weird. It's, like, it's equally and at the same time atonal and melodic. I don't even know how to describe it. It's so weird (laughs) what we've done. Awesome. And I love it. It's just, it's completely new. It's completely different. So that's... That release is coming up, and then, yeah, hopefully, I'm hoping against hope, the session actually happens for Juna. There's no, like, COVID, you know, bullshit that derails it, and that, you know, we can, we're just an independent band, so, like, hopefully, we can just, like, release things ourselves sometime this year, because I would love to give people some new music. It's time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, you know, maybe I'll I'll see you in the uh, yeah. greater uh, New England yes, region. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun <laughs> to hook up. Cool. So, what's the um, people want to stay in contact with you? Where do, where do you want to direct them? Um, I probably use Instagram the most. Mm-hmm. It's at Juna Band at Juna Band. Oh, Juna spelled weird. D J U N A H B A N D. Important note at Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. I'm on Facebook, but I don't use that that much. I am not on TikTok or Twitter. <laughs> I'm like, I can only handle like one social media platform at any given I think that's time. Fair. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. And yeah. then Bandcamp is yeah. where we sell all stuff through. So if you want a record or a t-shirt, hit us up on Bandcamp. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. This was really oh, fun. I really too. appreciate you taking the this time. This so much fun. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed my conversation with Donna. I hope you did too. And if you want to hear more from her and Juna, definitely check out the show notes for all of her links. Just so much good stuff. So as we're closing out, just one quick note for today. As you are probably aware, International Women's Day just happened and we're in the middle of Women's History Month. And as a general rule, I am highly skeptical of this phenomenon, whether it's this or Black History Month or Pride Month or similar awareness type celebrations. And, you know, of course, I think we should celebrate, raise awareness for specific issues. uh, But what ends up happening is that people put all of their representational energy into one month rather than real representation, which should be happening all year round. And, you know, I really do appreciate folks' attention to this. I'm glad that people are, like, psyched about it and trying to do something. But the main problem that they end up bumping up against is when, you know, companies are seen as doing a poor job of this throughout the year. And then wanting to throw like confetti one day, you know, or one month per year. For many people, it just kind of feels hollow, like it's not real, like it's just kind of a marketing stunt, even if they really do intend, (laughs) have like positive intentions around it. And I saw a lot and continue to see a lot of that happening. And, you know, that is when folks tend to get pushback from the community, which I know feels hard because sometimes people are like, well, you know, I tried and then I got crap for it, so I'm never trying again. And that's that's totally not it. It's, you know, as with everything, it requires practice. It's like you need scrapes and bumps and learning from other people. And that's that's what it is. And, you know, if 
as a company, you aren't sure whether your marketing is going to land and you don't have a lot of women in, you know, in the case of this month in particular on staff, you know, phone a friend to like five women from varying backgrounds, ask them how it reads. If, you know, you don't have five women, you know, nearby that you can talk to, check out the hashtag for one riff a day. You know, offer folks a little money for their input. Surveys might work. Interviews, focus groups, you know, those things can really go a long way. All right. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with others or rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so others will hear it. Thanks for listening.